Good morning. It's good to see you today. And a uh, pretty cool video, huh? Wow, that was weak. I like the little piggy bank at the end, crushing the bank. Hey, look around and uh, just kind of look at our church and just see what God is doing. And let's celebrate that for a minute. Amen. And uh, I just think it's crazy, like in February, that this many people actually come to church and want to be a part of what God's doing, you know. And uh, I was telling my wife yesterday, it feels like, you know, most people don't come outside for like four months, five months, you know, in the winter. And, and I just want to commend you for that. And we're just excited about what God is doing. And uh, as we told you, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but uh, we're praying about next steps and what God wants us to do as a church, whether we extend this building out or um, whether we build an auxiliary building. Someone told me this week, they're like, don't call it a barn. It's an auxiliary building. Um, it's a barn, you know, but it's going to be a cool barn, Steve. I'm sorry. I didn't know I was supposed to rat you out like that. And uh, but it's going to be a cool barn and it's not going to be your typical. Like We're not going to have animals and stuff in there and stuff. So but it's going to be cool. And uh, so let's be praying about, you know, God resourcing that and uh, us using that for our food pantry and for our student ministries and uh, for other events and things that we want to do. And um, if you'd like to give to that, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that next week. And um, I want to just say this today as I you know begin the message. You know, every year in February, we talk about uh, giving and generosity. It's just something that we do as a church because um, as the people of God, you know, we want to be characterized as a people of generosity. We want to be characterized as a people who know how to give in part because of what Jesus Christ gave to us. And I was telling our new members class um, this morning, and I just feel like it'd be appropriate to remind our church today, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, I mean, everywhere you go, you know, or every club or association that you join, you know, ultimately there's a membership process, right? Uh, they, they, there's certain requirements that you have. Um, there's dues that you have to pay. And the funny thing is, is whenever you talk about that in the church, people get all weirded out by it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and so as a church, we're just really upfront about that. And so before you say this morning, like, oh, you know, um, all the church wants is your money. Um, listen, God doesn't need your money. Amen. Like God doesn't need he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And, it, he, you know, he doesn't need he doesn't need what you have. And so. Um, our our responsibility as pastors is to teach the word of God. And, and I think um, Jesus talked about money three times as much as he talked about, you know, health, right? And so if Jesus talked about money and finances that much, then I think it would, it would, um, it should concern us. And we should at least address it when we come to it in the word of God. You know, I think about it, you know, and, and there's this, uh, I've mentioned this before, so please forgive me, but I just think it's funny, you know. Uh, how many of you seen that commercial where um, it's about the cats and Sarah McLaughlin comes on in, in the arms of angels? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking How many of you seen that video, right? You can YouTube it when we're done with church today. And, and like, uh, Sarah McLaughlin gets on there, and there's some famous actress. I can't remember who it is at the moment, um, but I like her, and I thought, man, I'm going to get my credit card. Like, I just, when I heard that song in the arms of angels, I didn't even know what it was for. I just, well, I'll give to that, you know? And it's funny, again, that we give to the craziest things, right? And we give, like, in an emotional way. And um, the reality is, is as the people of God, those of us who have been touched by and gripped by the grace of God, what should characterize us most is our generosity, our willingness to live open-handedly with the resources that God has given to us, whether it's our time, our, our talent, our treasure, the truth of the Word of God, and on and on we could go that all that we have, hey, listen, 
We're, we're owners of nothing and stewards of everything. And so we manage, and we're going to talk about that next week, but we manage what God has given to us. Now, in our text today, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, we see Paul instructing Timothy, a young pastor, regarding the danger of being gripped by greediness and not being gripped by the grace of God. Because, listen, when you're gripped by grace, grace always leads us to a place of generosity. It always leads us to a place of kingdom-mindedness. Now, the text points us to the power of greed and, and the power that it has over our hearts, but it also points us to the freedom that contentment offers us when we pursue godliness and the will of God. And so Paul is instructing Timothy, this young pastor, because there was these guys over here who were in the ministry, and they were using their, their platform and their position to profit from the people of God. And I want to say this to you today. Um, as a church, when you give money to Jackson Creek Fellowship Church, I want to be very clear on this today, you are giving that money to God through the local church. And when you give that money, we use that money to accomplish the mission of God to do what God has called us to do. No, trust me, no one on our staff or on our team are getting rich by being in the ministry, all right? Uh, that's not why uh, we're in this. We're in this so that people's lives can be transformed eternally by the power of the message of the gospel. Now, this morning, greed, you know, when we think about it, greed's kind of an ugly word. And it's a word that most of us likely wouldn't own up to or recognize in our own life. Like most of us this morning, we're not going to just be like, yeah, I'm kind of greedy. Like, ooh, I struggle with greediness. It's just, I mean, let's be honest, it's an ugly word. But yet when greed grips your heart, generosity becomes an afterthought. When, when greed kind of, and, and listen, it does, it subtly kind of creeps in, oftentimes unbeknownst to us, just like any other sin. And we talk about, you know, immorality and addiction and all these other things in life, but we often fail to talk about the subtleness of greed and how it finds its way into our heart and how it fleshes itself out. Now, greed is the enemy of contentment and generosity. So let's take a moment, just a minute, to diagnose what it looks like to be a person that might be impacted by greed in our lives and in our hearts. Now, if we're honest, okay, and if we're honest with God and we're honest with ourselves, to some degree, whether on a small scale or a large scale, we all struggle with greed. And another way of thinking about it is selfishness. And another way to think about it is covetousness, wanting more than what I currently have or justifiably need. So we all struggle with greed. I'm not, I struggle with it. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to confess some sin this morning, and hopefully some people in my group are here tonight, and they'll, they'll, they'll address me on this on Tuesday night, right? I struggle with greed. Like, I'm, it's a big deal sometimes. Um, one of the things that I struggle with, I'm not a fan of sharing my food. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I'm not. My wife will come, and we'll, like today we're going to go out, and I'm going to get a cheeseburger and some fries, and I'm going to get a cold pop, right? What she does is she's like, well, I won't order a pop. I'll just drink yours. And I'm like, girl, you're out of your mind. Or she'll go, I'm going to eat some of your french fries. And I'm like, that's not an option. <laughs> We're doing well enough to where I can get you your own drink and I can get you your own fries. I don't need to share what I have. And I don't even necessarily have to eat them all. I just don't want to share them with her. I just want to know that if I need those fries, they're there for me. 
And then, this is, I'm serious, man. Like, I got issues. I see a therapist. Like, listen, <laughs> I know how much I'm going to drink in my meal. And I know how much ice and, and, and cold pop I need in my cup. And, and if it's not there when I need it to take my drink after so many bites, like, that stresses me out. And I'll be sitting across the table, and when she reaches over, I mean, it's, it's all that's in me not to just go, like, all crazy and knock the cup out of her hand. You know why? Because we struggle with greed. You know, greed is rooted in a fear of not having enough, isn't it? I watch this even with my own kids, and, and, and with my own kids, it, it, and I see that, and I see my own sin in their lives. And I know, and I can diagnose where they're at, and i got to be careful, you know, because I want to judge them, but they're little sinners too, you know. But my own kids, I, I watch one of my kids in particular who's not in the service today, and I wish she were so she could hear this. But I watch one of them. I'm not going to tell you which one. She just had a birthday last month. But I, you know, I watch her, and we'll have food at the house, and we'll, we'll have, like, on pizza night, we'll have pizza. And that child will go in and, and scoop up half the, the pizza before her sister gets any at all. And I'm like, do you think we're going to run out of food? Do you think we're not going to have enough? And if we don't, do you think I won't get you something else to help you not go hungry? But, but, but you're not characterizing yourself with the life of Christ when you hoard, right? And when you get everything you need for yourself and leave nothing for everyone else. And so to some degree, we laugh, we laugh right? But isn't that how greed kind of subtly finds its way into our heart? We fear not having enough. And so I want to ask you this morning, how about you? And I find we do this in a lot of ways, and we've all done these things, like going into credit card debt and spending money that we don't have or overspending or a lack of overall generosity. It amazes me um, the amount of, of, of folks that call themselves followers of Jesus Christ and they tip God with their finances, but a lack of generosity. Retail therapy, when I'm struggling with, with other areas in my life, a way that I mitigate that emotion I just go out and spend money and buy things because I, I think that that's going to make me feel better about the current state of my life or hoarding. Or here's another one, and we live in this day and age. Apple has really tapped into this idea, but having the newest whatever. I mean, I think, I mean, just, I'm going to be honest with you. I think you're kind of nuts if you sit out in front of the Apple store for a new phone. Like, that's just crazy to me, right? But some people do that because they got to have the X. And then they got to have the Z and the Y and whatever else they're coming. Like, they don't even know what it does, but they got to have one, right? And, and that's the crazy thing is, like, we have this fear of not having enough or we have this fear of missing out. And I love what Dave Ramsey says, and, and John's going to be teaching this, a class this year, uh, uh, the Financial Peace University. But, but Dave Ramsey says it this way, and I love it. He goes, we go into debt to buy things we don't need in order to impress people that we don't even like, right? And that's what we do. And no one really admits to their personal greediness or, or that it's even a problem in part. You know why? In part because we tend to measure ourselves with other people and compare ourselves with the lives of others, right? And, and here's what we do. Well, I'm not as greedy as they are. I'm not, I'm not as consumeristic as they are. And, and I, don't, I don't struggle with this like, like they do. And listen, whenever we put our, our lives up to the grid of the life of Jesus Christ, Listen, you're never going to match up to Jesus, right? And so we need to be moving more and more. I'll fix my grammar there. We need to be moving closer to the life that Jesus Christ had for those who follow him. A life of sacrifice, a life of generosity. Listen, a life of open-handedness. You see, 
Greed can take control of any desire in your life. Achievement, love, sex, alcohol, wealth, or even material possessions. It's not just money, but it can overcome you in a, in a myriad of different ways. And greed transforms our natural desires into, and please note this down today, into a consuming drive for more. I've got to have more. Someone once asked, and, and, and many of you don't know who John D. Rockefeller was, but he was a very wealthy man in, in, in U.S. history, and, and he was worth millions and millions and millions of dollars, and he had everything he ever needed. And someone once asked John D. Rockefeller, um, how much is enough money? And he goes, just one more dollar, just one more dollar. And that's how we think, and that's how we operate in the, in the environment and the culture that we live in. I mentioned already Greed stems from a basic fear of life. It's a, it's a compelling need to constantly acquire and consume or possess more of something that is not actually uh, or justifiable, uh, ne- justifiably necessary. We don't always recognize it, but we can see clearly. You know how you can tell when greed might be gripping your heart? You can tell when greed is gripping your heart when you continually live a life of discontentment. That's what Paul is talking to Timothy about this morning. Man, when you, when you find the simplicity of life in Christ, you don't need more because you have all that you need and all that is sufficient for you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we can see it clearly in our discontentment. Another way to describe this, and I've already mentioned this morning, is the word covetousness which means grasping for more. It's the sin of selfishness, and you're never content. And so we find that greed can be very deceptive. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, and we're going to look at this passage next week, but I just kind of springboard into that. He says, and he said unto them, take care and be on guard against covetousness. Listen to what he says. Jesus says this, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And I want to ask you this morning, are you on guard Are you on guard this morning in your life in regards to the area of greed? Now, in this passage of Scripture, the first thing that we see in verses 6 through 8 is this, the description of the godly. What does it look like to be a person who is, in a sense, self-sufficient and a person who is content with all that God has given them? You see, in our text, and if we read it again in verse number 6, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and uh, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing uh, with these, we will be content. I remember as a kid, I'd always hear the preacher say to me, hey, you've never seen a, 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 a hearse with a U-Haul attached to the back of it. How many of you ever heard that phrase before? Dude, I found a meme the other day that had a, 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 a hearse with a U-Haul attached to the back of it. I can't say that anymore, but apparently someone thought they could do that. But in the end, you can't take it with you. And so... In our text, Paul is calling Timothy to turn away from the pursuit of wealth. And listen to what he's calling us to. He's calling us from greed into godliness. Because he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness is a reverence and a likeness to God. And let me ask you this, in your spending and in your pursuit of wealth or in your pursuit of life, would your life be characterized by the likeness of God himself. And listen, and that's characterized in, in, in many ways in, in John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, for God so loved the world that he, he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then this idea of contentment. He says, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. And contentment is, is an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. I want to ask you this morning, with this inner peace, 
right? This inner contentment. Can I ask you, does that describe your heart this morning? Does that describe your inner man this morning, your soul? The true contentment comes from godliness in the heart, not wealth in the hand. You can have all the wealth in the world and yet not be satisfied in life. Solomon, the richest man to ever walk the face of the planet, said, listen, on all the things that my hands had wrought to do, behold, all was vanity and vexation of the Spirit. And when he says, there's no profit under the sun. I've had every experience known to, to, to mankind, and I've owned everything that I've ever wanted to own. I've done everything I've ever wanted to do, and nothing satisfies. He says, he says it's, um, uh, it's vanity, and the word vanity is a Hebrew word called havel, which means frustratingly enigmatic. And I don't know about you, but life is it's a mystery wrapped in a puzzle when you don't include Jesus Christ in everything that you do. And so as disciples, we need to be asking, is our primary pursuit in life to become godly or to become wealthy? The greater gain for us is to pursue God's plan for our lives. And this begins with our perspective. This begins with our perspective. Look at what Paul says to Timothy. He says in verse 7, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. And so to some degree, we have to understand uh, what is our view of money and possessions? We must continually be reminded that this world is temporary and everything we possess during our lifetime, uh, that too is temporary. But there is, a, there is a, listen to me this morning, there is a transcendence to what we do for the kingdom of God. There is an eternal impact and value and an eternality, if you will, when we serve God and use our life and leverage our resources and our abilities to further his kingdom. And so while I can't take this shirt, these pants, my car, my home, I can't take any of that with me, but the things that I do for God will live on in eternity. And that's how we view our possessions. I like new car smell just as much as anyone, but it lasts about a week. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I love eating a steak, but at some point, it's going to pass. At some point, it, it's not going to be there anymore. But when I serve God, I look around this room, and, and I, I begin to think about the lives that have been touched by the preaching of the gospel, and I look at the lives that have, that have heard the, the, the true meaning of life and how they put their complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ, And that transcends any experience or any possession that you or I may ever attain. And if we're to be delivered from the love of wealth, we must recognize how temporary temporary earthly wealth is and focus. Listen, we've we've got to focus on what truly matters and what truly will live on forever. And then our possessions. What we possess. Paul said, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. He says in verse 7, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. And then he says, if we have food and clothing with all of these, be content. Man, I just wonder, what does it say to a lost and dying world for Christians who have what they need and yet they're still not content? Because if Christ really is all in all, and if we can build our life as we sang this morning, if we can build our life on Christ, why is it that we pursue what this world offers to the same degree that the lost world pursues those things as well. And so we understand that our possessions are are trivial. For many, we treat our wants like needs, and the most content person is the one who doesn't need anything. 
So I ask you, do you see greed gripping your heart? Paul said we can, we can, we could be content with food and clothing. And when we are content, we're satisfied with the basic necessities of life. How content is your heart? I find it fascinating. Like, we've got to be one of the only countries in the world that have storage units. I mean, do you, do you know that there, there, there are people that invest and own, like, these storage places, and they are raking in millions and millions of dollars. And, and, and because we buy so much junk that we need somewhere other than our immediate home to store all of our other junk right? And then when you have a garage, garage sales crack me up. You know, it's just people selling their junk, and then we buy that junk, and then we sell in our garage sale next year. It's strange to me, you know? And, and yet that's how we live. We're not content. We always got to have more. We got to have this, and we got to have that. But those who are truly godly, man, they have this percep- perception of their percep- of, of their possessions and their life to such a degree that you know, I, I, don't, I don't really need anything else. One writer said, too many of us know the price of everything, listen, and the value of nothing. Now, the description of the greedy, we find that in verses number 9 and 10. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. A desire to make money, let me just say this, is not a sin. If you're a business owner or you're a manager or uh, you're in the, the corporate world, I, man, I want to incur- make as much money as you can, right? Because God calls people to make money and to to have resources but not listen to me it should never contradict your calling to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in fact if God has put you in a position to make money listen use that and leverage that to bless those around you and to further the kingdom of God so making money isn't a sin but listen to what Paul says the love of money that is a sin in fact, it's a decision to and a desire to pursue wealth for personal consumption or luxury. He says uh, in verse number 10, for the love of money. And it's not money, it's the love of money. It's, that's the root of all evil. And it's our money isn't the problem. But listen, you might jot this down. Our money isn't the problem, it's our attitude towards money. And we're going to talk about that and break that down in just a moment. But Paul Tripp says it this way. Money can function as an, as an ingredient to a lifestyle that at the street level forgets God's existence and his plan. Right? So you may not, you may not, have, a, you may not have theologically denied the existence of God, but your, your money supports a lifestyle that ignores it. Right? And, and so we need to consider that this morning. We need to consider, uh, does, does our pursuit of money and our desire for money uh, s- support a lifestyle that ignores the existence of God? And, and there's some ways that we can find out very quickly if that's true in our life. And so does your desire, listen, for and dependence on wealth practically deny the existence of God in your life personally? Man, you could be here this morning, and you could be sitting in church on a Sunday morning, and yet you're already thinking about tomorrow and the work that you need to do. You might be thinking about the advances that you need to make, the ladders that you need to climb, the things that you need to do in order to succeed so you can, so you can have the money to get this, so that you can have the money to buy that, and so that you can continue to grow your kingdom and your wealth and build bigger barns. And that might be the very thing that's, that's, that's gripping your heart today. And so, again, we say, well, man, I'm not greedy, but if that's what's consuming my heart. Several years ago, we had a man in our church, and he was sitting. He used to sit right over there, and he, he said to me one time, he goes, Pastor, 
comes up to me during our missions conference. He says, I got, I can't remember the amount. I think it was like $2,000. He says, I got $2,000, and I need to give it to you, and I want you to give it to these missionaries. I said, okay. He says, can I tell you a story? He goes, yeah. I said, um, what's the story? So he started telling me. He goes, man, I was sitting in church the other day, and I would come across some money, and I had this money, and all the whole time, and this is what he said to me. I was thinking about buying a shotgun in church. And I just started thinking about this shotgun, and I thought, man, I'm going to buy this shotgun, and I'm going to buy these shells, and this is, this is what I'm going to use that shotgun for. And, then, and he goes, all the while, I'm sitting in church when I should be focusing my heart and mind on the glorious kingdom of God. And so I don't want that shotgun or anything to be a hindrance in my pursuit of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to give the money to these missionaries so they can go tell other people about Jesus who desperately need him. And so we don't think of greediness in those terms. And so money allows us to afford a self-centered lifestyle that acts as if nothing is more important than our individual wants, needs, and feelings. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times we'll say in, in church, boy, I really need to grow spiritually, right? How many of you ever said that before? Just be honest. Like, I need, I need it right now, you know? But we say that. I need to grow spiritually. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. Now, the problem with those kinds of statements, they're very subjective because what is more and what is enough, right? The funny thing about money is, is that that one's very easy to, to diagnose and to measure because we can open right now any one of our checkbooks and we could open it up and see where our money goes. And sadly enough, for many of us, most of our money goes to things that will never live beyond our lifetime. And the percentage of money that we spend on those things compared to the things that God has called us to invest in that will live on for eternity is a fraction of what God has called us to. In fact, they say that that the average church member gives less than 2% of their resources. When I say resources, I'm talking money today. Gives less than 2% back to God uh, to their local church to further the message of the gospel. And so, so on this on this level, we don't have to guess what steps we need to take or how much we need to grow in order to get to the level of generosity at a minimum that God is calling us to. All we have to do is open up our checkbooks. Furthermore, lack of generosity, it demonstrates a lack of trust in God's sufficiency for the need and personal life gratification. You don't need what you think you need in order to have a happy life. I've shared this story before, but I think it bears repeating. But I remember when my wife and I, um, and I know some, there's some old timers in here. And um, I was listening to somebody talk the other day uh, about when they went into ministry. It was actually Vernon Lyons. He was talking about when he went into ministry, he made like 10 bucks a week, man. And that was like, I don't know, that was back when Wall Street crashed. I mean, that guy's kind of, you know, he's up there, you know. But when we started ministry, I, I was in Bible college, and I worked at a company called MCI. I made a good salary. In fact, as, as a 21-year-old, I was making more money at the time than I think my parents were. Um, they couldn't even claim me as a dependent anymore. I lost my Pell Grants because I was doing so well in my job. And then my wife's dad offered me a job. And when I was working at MCI, um, they offered me a supervisor position. 21 years old, could have been making six figures a year, and hadn't even graduated college yet. But instead, my wife and I felt called to come to Chicago, and we did. Um, we, we took a pay cut. And I remember for years, we barely got by. And I can tell you this morning, story after story of God's provision in our lives. I remember one time, you know, my wife went on a laser retreat. We didn't have a ton of money, and 
Um, some of our friends, had their husbands had really good jobs, and they were out at the outlet mall, and they were buying stuff. And, and, um, and, and I, she called me from the outlet mall, and Gurney Mills was sitting there crying. She's like, I'm, I just feel bad we don't have enough money. And, and, man, as a husband, man, I just felt like such a poser, man. Like I couldn't give my wife a little money to buy clothes for our kids. And then this week I forgot about this, but she says, you know, I remember when uh, baby food would go on sale and I'd want to stock up. And she goes, you'd be like, um, no, you can't buy this because we don't have, but, but it's on sale, but we don't have money, right? And I remember having those conversations. When I got, when I got ordained on July 5th back in 06 or 05, um, a lady in the church was holding Ellie, and Ellie got sick, and then she had to go to the hospital bill, and the, the company didn't cover the ambulance. It cost us $2,000. I had no idea how I was going to pay for that. A week later, I got a check in the mail that covered the entire expense. And, and man, and I'm going to tell you, we were, we were probably our most happy then because we had all that we needed. And over and over again, we saw the sufficiency of God, and we saw the provision of God over and over. And that's what describes the godliness of the people of God. What we pursue and what we live with and what we, what we have, you know, and that it's enough for us because we're doing what God's called us to do. Now, here's the danger of greed. Verses 9 and 10, very quickly. He says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Listen, write this down. This is important. Loving money ignores true gain. That's the real danger. It ignores the true value of what God is calling us into. But he says this. He goes, those who, those who desire to be rich, listen, he, they fall into temptation, into a snare. It's used of an animal falling into a pit, just like most sin in our lives. We never plan on going too far, but eventually it can snare us and it can trap us. And then he goes on to say, in verse number 10, they wandered away, listen, from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now here's the danger of greed. Number one, you fall into a trap that you can't get out of. Seemingly, it's a metaphor, right? God can deliver us from anything. Amen? God can move us from a place of greediness to a place of generosity and grace. But when you pursue that, you end up making compromises you never thought you would make. First, you start missing church, and then, then you're willing to lie, and then you're willing to kind of skim off the top, or you're willing to do whatever you need to do in order to get to the place where you think you need to be in terms of your personal wealth. And so you end up making choices that you never thought you would make, and you end up ruining, that's what he's saying there, you end up ruining all that is truly valuable in your life because you're pursuing something God never intended for you to pursue. And. He goes on in verse 10, and he says, listen, when you do that, and this is the most dangerous, you wander away from the faith. You wander away from your relationship with Jesus Christ. And listen, one writer said it this way, when you're living for you, no matter what your formal confession is, you are living as if God doesn't exist and as if you have the right to write your own rules. That's the danger. Now, here's the delight of the people of God. We're going to back it up, verses 7 and 8. He says again, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing with these, let us be content. The only hope for contentment, listen, my friends, the only hope for contentment in this world is Jesus Christ. 
the only hope that we have in this world for the brokenness in our hearts. And listen, we are all broken at a heart level. And the only thing that fixes what is broken is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm not just preaching to you this morning, and I surely don't want you to come up to me afterwards and think I'm trying to guilt you into giving more money to the church. I'm saying this for your own souls. I'm saying this for my own soul because I, too, am tempted to build my own kingdom. I, too, am tempted to build my own wealth and to pursue things in a way that functionally and practically denies the very existence of God himself. But we find purpose. We find we find our identity in pursuing the will and the kingdom of God. You can have everything that this world offers you and yet feel all alone. Solomon said, God has written eternity on our hearts. And what that means for you and what that means for me is that our hearts crave for something more than what this world has to offer us. Something more, something transcendent, something that matters, something that is significant, something that really means something. We've been called to that. We have been designed for that. And anything that you try to to put into your life or into your heart and you're captured by it, listen, it's like drinking sand. It will never satisfy you to the degree that you need to be satisfied like a relationship in pursuing Jesus Christ. That's it. You see, people who are truly rich, they're content with what they have. And a godly person is not motivated by a love for money. You know what they're motivated by? They're motivated by a love for God. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul said it this way, for the love of Christ, listen, it, it constrains me. It compels me. It motivates me. The Greek word actually means to be pressed on every side. And so Paul's like, man, I am pressed. I am I'm, I'm motivated from a place deep within to, to, to love Christ and to follow Christ and to pursue Christ and to serve Christ and to make him known. And listen, nothing else satisfies me. Paul, man, was like at the top of his game. He says, look, I count all things but loss except for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. In fact, he used the word in the, in the, in, in the original languages. He goes, I count all things but dung that I might know Christ. Dung just means excrement. If your kids are in here today, you can explain that when you get home today. Paul says, man, everything that I have done, everything that I have pursued, everything that I thought was valuable, it's nothing more than human waste compared to knowing, loving, following, and pursuing Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Lord, my friend, and my Redeemer. That is where I find my hope. That is where I find my joy. That is where I find my ultimate significance. And friends, I want to tell you this morning, the only thing that distinguishes the people of God is the kind of treasure that we live in pursuit of. And if we as followers of Jesus Christ 
pursue what this world offers. And Mike did a great job with that buffer video because we pursue the wealth and the beauty and the, the, the promotions and the achievement and the accolades. And we do so to the degree that the world does. And there is absolutely no difference in our pursuit than those who do not know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. So when we talk about giving generously to the next expansion piece to our church ministry, listen, trust me on this. We are not doing that to build a platform for ourselves. We are doing that to provide the facilities to reach people for the kingdom of God. When we talk today, in a few moments, April is going to come up and talk about Safe Families, and Mackenzie and and Mario and their staff are here today from Safe Families. When we talk about fostering and when we talk about bringing kids, and listen, we we are a wealthy people. If you make 30 grand a year, you're in the top 1% in the world. If you have running water, you're, you're, you're the most wealthiest that live in this world. And so when we talk about foster care and we talk about bringing kids into our home and providing a safe place for them to lay their head down at night and get three meals a day. Hey, listen, that shouldn't be a burden to us. That should be a blessing for the people of God. And then when we think about Easter and we think about Project 2K, and man, think about today when you leave here, all the people that you're going to come in contact with. And instead of getting ticked off at them because they cut you off in traffic or um, the other night someone tried to cut me in line, I about lost my mind. Sometimes I just want to turn my pastor card in and just crack somebody. You know, just I'm going to turn that in for 10 minutes. All right, give me that back. I hope you love Jesus, and, and I'd like to invite. Like, sometimes you just want to do that because some people just need cracking. You know what I'm saying? But instead of getting frustrated with people, instead, look at them as a person who's going to spend eternity somewhere. So when Mike and myself and John and the other pastors talk to you about um, our church and what we're doing, and we talk about the food pantry, and we talk about the student ministries, and I hope our college students are listening today. There's a, uh, there's a singles activity coming up. There's student ministry things that are going on. Instead of that just going in one ear and out the other and your eyes glazing over because it's like, oh, there's another announcement. We have an opportunity to change and transform lives with the gospel. I mean, we're going to run into people today that they're going to spend eternity somewhere forever. Forever. They're going, to, they're going to live a life, and then they're going to have an eternal life. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the truth of the Word of God, and we have the power of the Gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us to make a difference in the world in which we live. And it goes beyond our giving and our generosity, but it goes into how we live our lives in such a way that, that this world is different because we lived here and took our breath and set up residence here. And so I'm asking you today, when we think about these different opportunities that we're presenting you with, don't just think of it as another thing, because I can tell you these opportunities are vetted through our staff and through our pastors, and when we bring something to you, listen, it's important, it's, it's, it's significant, and we're not just wasting your time. We're trying to give you on-ramps and opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So I want to ask you this morning in just a moment, we're going to bow our heads and we're going to close our eyes. Man, you could look at this service this morning and just be like, yeah, it's another church service. Or you can recognize the true calling that God has on your life. Because when you were called to salvation, you were simultaneously called into the mission of God. And God has a plan and design for your life. 
And it's always, when God calls you into his service, it's always above average. God has something special for every individual in this room. And I always dream and I always imagine what it would be like if, if, if Jackson Creek really embraced this idea that if we served God together individually and corporately, what would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. We'd have to go to multiple services. We'd be knocking these walls out because people would be like, I don't know what's up at Jackson Creek, but I do know one thing. If you need help, that's the church you go to. Those people are serious about following Jesus. They're serious about the kingdom of God. They're serious about their relationship. It's no joke. It's no game. They have a lot of fun, but they are fervent about the mission of God. Man, I would hope this morning that our altars would be packed with people that would say, hey, man, I am a little greedy with my time. I'm a little greedy with my money. I'm a little, I'm just, I live with this fear that I'm not going to have enough. And so, Man, I want to give my life again to Jesus Christ. I want to surrender my heart to him, my purpose, my plan, my agenda, my dream. I want him to have all of me, not just some of me or parts of me. I want him to have the whole thing. So that one day when people walk by my casket and they look in that coffin and they see me, they say, my life was different because that man stood for Jesus Christ. That lady, she loved me into the kingdom of God. She brought me into this church. She brought me into the family of God. And listen, that's the kind of life that's worth living. Because you live your life for the 9 to 5 one day, they're going to pack all your stuff that's in your cubicle, and they ain't raising no statues to you. you. They might buy you a cake. And then what do you got? But I'm going to tell you, when you serve Jesus, he rewards those who are faithful to him. He's not looking for the next Billy Graham. He's not looking for the next Jonathan Edwards. He's just looking for those who will follow him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes in a moment of just reflection? And I want to ask you this morning, how many of you this morning know for certain that Jesus Christ is your Savior? You know that heaven is your home, that you've been forgiven of your sins, and that you're right with God. You can lift your hand and give testimony of that this morning. Would you just lift your hand this morning? Amen. I notice there are a couple of you that couldn't raise your hands this morning, and that's okay. No one's looking around today. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you say, man, I don't know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't even know if I believe in God. Would you pray for me? Just lift your hand and let me just lift you up in prayer this morning. Would you please do that this morning? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Amen. Amen. Now, how many say to me this morning, Pastor, I want my life to count. I want to live for that which is significant. I, I, I want to leave a legacy of faith to this church, and to my family, and to my community, and to those around me. I want to, I want Jesus to have all of me, not just part of me. Would you lift your hand this morning and just lift them up high, man. Just own that for the, for the sake of Christ. Lift them up today. Father in heaven, I, I see these dear folks lifting their hands this morning. And God, I just pray that we as a church would recognize the, the, the wonderful calling that you have on all of our lives to serve you. Father in heaven, I just pray that we would that we would do so with fervency, that we would do so with focus, and that God, we would look at our lives and consider, Lord, where where we're not completely and wholly committed to you. And we can all do that. I can do that this morning. And so, God in heaven, I just pray and I ask that you'd help us to repent, turn from our sin, our selfishness, and our pride and our arrogance. 
and realize, Lord, that we're a people that aren't perfect, but a people that are in progress. And that it is our responsibility as disciples of Jesus Christ to see that message go outside of these walls into our communities, into our neighborhoods, into our sports leagues, into our coffee shops, into our schools. God, I pray for our young people that are sitting over here this morning, our, our students, our college students. God, I pray that they'd consider surrendering their life to serve you on a mission field somewhere. They'd consider going to the ministry, giving their life to serving God. God, I just pray, Lord, that we would be willing to allow our kids to make those decisions. And while they might not go to the Ivy League schools and make the six-figure incomes, they'll be doing the will of God with their lives. So, Lord, I pray that this morning. I lift it up in your sweet and precious name, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet.